All right, we're here live. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Welcome to the uh, OFM podcast again. And uh, I'm your host and collaborator in this enterprise, Peter Defty. And with me today is Dr. Kathy Valetza, who is part of our team. And so we're, we're continuing uh, a series of conversations and interviews we've done with Kathy um, today because approximately four weeks ago you completed Ironman Maryland right yes right and and no this is she wasn't going for an age group or a win or a PR um I think what's important and relatable about this is Kathy's got a a pretty busy life as a a trauma specialist both as a trauma surgeon and an ICU uh physician And, and also with a family, uh, you've got a teenage daughter, a partner. Um, so you, you've got, you've, you've got it all going on, right? <laughs> uh, right. So, and, and this is, this is the lives most of us live. And, and so Kathy with her s- schedule, and you're also the director at your, your hospital, aren't you? No, at the last hospital, this hospital, I'm just, uh, one of the, um, intensivists okay okay so 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 you've taken a little bit of a step back a tiny step back yes right right. um but the point is being an an intensivist or an icu doc um and also a trauma surgeon who can and will jump in at the drop of a hat if she had to um you know like like most of us out there we're all leading very full lives and, you know, I think uh, what's relevant and why we're having starting this conversation right now um, or having this conversation right now is because, you know, Kathy is able to train and complete an Ironman in the midst of everything else going on in life, including Ian, right? Yes, including the hurricane. Yes, including the hurricane. OK, cool. Well, you know, that's I think it's really important. Um, and my life is no different than anyone else's, just as you said. And when I started on this journey uh, back in about 2014-2015, that was the first time I had the realization that I can't ever expect anything more of my patients than I was willing to do. I had to really walk the talk. So, you know, your doctor should be among the healthiest people that you know. And that was certainly not my situation at the time. And unfortunately, it's not something that a lot of people run into. So you can't say, well, I know how to be healthy, but I'm just too busy. So I think it's important that I don't, uh, you know, I don't train and race because I want medals or t-shirts. I train and race because it's part of a good life and it enhances the physiology. I think it is an opportunity to regain what we've lost because of our modern lives. You know, in the remote past, our ancestors had to move all day and be fit to survive. But with all our modern conveniences today, 
that is no longer a necessity. And between the lack of movement and the, um, I would say the uh, change in our diet, um, the modern life is no longer one of luxury. It's, it's really, when you look at it from my perspective, it's killing us. So the innovations that we've made have now allowed us to circumvent the very things that kept us alive and healthy, and namely finding food. And, uh, and they've provided us with foods that are not only readily available, but nutritionally uh, not nearly as good as what we used to eat. So from my perspective, I don't see myself as a person or a doctor that races Ironman. That's just a fun outlet for uh, what I do as a part of what I think is should be somebody's normal daily routine, you know? And it's just like meditation, you know, there's a saying, everybody should meditate for 20 minutes a day. And we could talk about the physiologic benefit of that. But if you don't have time, then you should meditate for an hour a day. And I think the same is true for movement. If you can't make time for, you know, movement, and uh, and I, I use that word more now because exercise has kind of a bad connotation to it. You know, movement is as critical as oxygen and food and water in my mind. Um, so if you can't make time for movement in your day, then uh, there's gonna be a heavy price to pay. And you're gonna see me in the ICU, unfortunately sooner rather than later because patients are getting younger uh, with, with uh, manifestation uh, and serious consequences from chronic disease states. Namely, uh, as we'll talk about, um, uh, you know, in this, in, in this podcast, but it's yeah, just, so it's, it's, it's just devastating to me as a doctor. Some days I don't want to go to work, not because I don't enjoy my patients, but because I see so much needless suffering, you know, and uh, people in the ICU and their families are so surprised when it's not a surprise to me at all. And I'm just surprised often that it hasn't happened sooner People are dodging bullets every single day and they don't realize it. And I feel the, you know, now the ethical and the moral responsibility as a, as a doctor to tell people and to promise them that everything that I speak is road tested by me and is well documented in the scientific literature, although it's been marginalized a lot, you know, and, uh, and is people are healthy. There's really nothing wrong with your body. And uh, people have become their diagnoses and their family history. And it's almost like they've, people now have, there's, collect, there's this collective consciousness that there's something wrong, intrinsically wrong with the human body. And if you think about it, most, interventions in medicine for chronic disease don't stop the progression of the disease. They're aimed at treating the symptoms of the disease. So, you know, as a trauma surgeon, 
there are a handful of things that I can do on an immediate basis as a surgeon, as a trauma surgeon, as, as well as interventional cardiologists and, and neuro, neurosurgeons to create, uh, to reverse an acute situation. You know, if you have a collapsed lung or you have a bullet wound or you have a, a heart attack that's in progress or stroke, there are interventions that can be done to stop you from dying in that moment. But there are very few interventions offered outside of um, procedures and pharmaceuticals to actually restore the body's balance and properly functioning physiology. You know, so that's one of the frustrations for me is I see people getting acute interventions that save their lives, but where we're falling short is now telling them the lifestyle changes they need to make that will prevent them from the disease that brought them in from progressing. And it's a, it's a, you know, I'm really at a quite a crossroads in my career uh, because enough is enough, you know? And uh, I think it's very then brave of uh, you, Peter, and, and of the team to uh, go forward and speak, you know, the lesser narrative that is more true and is true. And that's, um, you know, where I, I uh, am so grateful to have an opportunity in this podcast to talk to people. Yeah. So, you know, I think to frame this for the audience, um, especially if you, if this is your first time uh, seeing Kathy live and, and talking about this is you've got this spectrum and Kathy's on both ends of the spectrum in her profession, in, in the ICU and trauma, seeing this end of the human health. And then at the other end, um, being able to train and complete an Ironman as a fat adapted athlete by optimizing your fat metabolism. So <clears throat> athletes don't escape this. So yes, exercise movement is, is absolutely critical, but it's, it's, it's one component of, of your overall health picture. And the other thing I wanna also frame right now to, to accentuate what Kathy was saying about her work is we're not here to bag on modern medicine and, and, and all that because literally from my perspective, it's a miracle. When I look at what people like you and Jonathan and my friend Jim is an, they're anesthesiologists, what you guys do to keep people alive, you know, is like, it's, it's amazing, but the, the point is we, we want to try to get people as far away from being in an acute situation as possible so that if something unusual happens, they've got that resilience to where the doctors can really help them out. And, and from your perspective, both in the athletic world and um, well, in, in your perspective in the hospital, you're seeing that what you're suggesting is a lot of the things you're seeing are completely preventable and or exacerbating acute situations. 100%. On the rare occasion that we get an, uh, a healthy person, um, they're 
resilience and their ability to heal is so much faster. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So, yeah. and we, we need to qualify also one of the things, the, the other thing we need to frame, and this has been a big topic of my, my thinking about things right now. And we were talking about this Tuesday is because of modern convenience, um, whether it's food, comforts, uh, whatever, um, we kind of dumbed down health because, you know, nature, evolution, those pressures that shaped us as humans, they forced us to, to be on point and develop. But, you know, what's considered healthy today, I mean, I, I talk to people who tell me that they're healthy because their type 2 diabetes is well controlled. Yes, that is one of the very difficult conversations I have to have with patient families when I hear this statement all the time, they were, they were fine last week and all of a sudden, and the patient is, you know, a hundred pounds overweight, has pre-existing coronary artery disease and lung disease or kidney disease. And I have to say bluntly, your family member hasn't been fine for decades. And so that's kind of this, what we now accept as normal is not normal at all, but it's usual. People are confusing what's usual to be what's normal. What's normal is- You're normal, Kathy. That's yes. what's normal. Completing an Ironman. That is physiologically normal. And people say, well, I can't do that. And um, but that's why as a doctor, I should, I feel the obligation to demonstrate the way. And you don't have to necessarily um, I think people have in their minds what it takes to train for an Ironman. And that's also very important because if I can fit it into my schedule, most people can fit it into their schedules. And, um, you know. Well, and, and to a point, you're, you're absolutely right. But people need to know just for relatable, because most people aren't willing to do that. You don't have to train for an Ironman. I mean, just to get 80% of the way there, I, I tell people getting to the level where you could do, if you're a runner, you could do a half marathon or walk half marathon, or just anybody can go and do two to three hours of physical activity, yes. like cleaning the yard or walking, going for a hike, two to three, four hours of physical activity, aerobic physical activity where you're not wrecked, you're not bonking. That's, that's a, that'll get us, that's a good baseline health thing now um completing an ultra or an iron man or a spartan race that's icing on the cake right and yes you're going to leverage your health a lot more but like you say you're setting an example as a physician by completing an iron man but but we want the we want the audience to know it's okay you don't have to <laughs> you don't have to do an iron man or run 100 miles or climb mount whitney like i do you, you just got to get moving and get, get the diet sorted out in the lifestyle. So, yes. yeah. 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 Being so. able to move, you know, being able to move um, for a couple of hours, half, half marathon, or being able to carry two toddlers under, under each arm to get out of your house. If it were on fire, being able to be a asset to your family in an emergency situation like that and not a liability. I always say to people, if you have to be carried out of your house or carried out of a burning building, you're a liability. 
And that is not normal physiology. Tarzan is a normal human being, you know, and uh, having that functional fitness. So can you, like most people pay somebody to do their yard work so they can sit down and relax when what they actually need is to do something for a couple of hours, like their yard work, you know, or something else where you move all day. Um, not realizing that the, over time, the investment in that movement actually gets rid of that chronic fatigue. And that in concert with being fat adapted, it's so critically important because I know what I'm feeling after Ironman because of the way I eat and train the, the actual, you see a lot of athletes get wrecked after a race like this. When this is just, it gives being fat adapted, doing an effort like that gives you a bounce to a new level of- Right, it, it becomes, as I say, after the event's over, it's another training session. Oh, it feels so good. And people really, I think, have forgotten what it's like to feel good. And you, it is normal that even as a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old to be- able to keep up with your toddler. Lots of parents are so tired. The kids get up, you know, five o'clock in the morning and they're ready to go. And they may have a solid nap in the middle of the day and they get up and they're ready to go till they collapse at bedtime. That's normal, right? That's that kind of energy. And, uh, you know, I, obese children are not normal. There's, you know, I, I, I hate that I have to give this disclaimer, but as a physician, there is no judgment here about what you're doing, how you look, what you wear. There's no judgment. But I will not say it's okay and it's normal to be obese, you know, or to be um, unable to, like you said, move for an extended period of time throughout the day, you know. And uh, so it's really important that people understand that, um, you know, you look, you only have to look as far as, mother nature you know uh if you're a fat lion you know and you can't catch an antelope you're gonna die and you're not gonna procreate and you're not gonna have offspring that adapt that also um adopt those behaviors right so what i'm talking about is um it's definitely a change from the way most people live their lives, but it's the a, a reversion back to a place where we can enjoy our physiology. And the beauty of it is now we don't have to do it to survive, but if we do it, you can actually thrive. And I think we see that in lots of athletic, our athletes certainly like, like yeah. Jeff Browning's, like last week at Moab 240, I mean, running 240 miles um, and not, you know, and just kind of walking away after the finish line and then feeling better and better that as the days went on. That's just, I don't think people have really tapped into what human physiology can do. Yeah, um, running 240 miles is, is that's what we're doing is, is we're doing this ragged edge stuff at OFM so we can take what we learn and bring it back. But you're right. It's like Jeff's a perfect example because he's doing everything on point, right? Um, and it allows and him to- Others would do that because we know now that the influence of diet starts in utero. And um, that, that child develops in utero and 
if the mother has been able to live and successfully procreate in her environment, the child will be um, loaded with the same behaviors and tendencies to survive in that same environment. And um, this is not to in any way, you know, um, dumb down the process of procreation and, and why we're here, but this is what our environment does, right? So we, we are seeing now more and more obese children, little children, because of the way their mothers fuel, eat while they're in utero, predisposing children to insulin resistance early on. That's why you're seeing more and more obese young people, not only when they start eating uh, the way that average American eats, but from, from the very beginning. It starts at conception, yeah. The, the reverse is also true. You have people that are fat adapted. I mean, breast milk is a beautiful food for a fat adapted person, right? You, you, these children. It's, it, it's a cholesterol rich melange of all you need. And, you know, children that are born that have these good um, habits and predilection for certain gene expression because they're fat adapted early on and they're stronger in so many ways from an immunologic perspective um, for future heart health, um, uh, liver health, fat um, metabolism. And I think we could reverse, I know we could reverse the current trend of, um, you know, everything from the effect of the modern life, not only on our bodies, but um, it's, it's quite clear that this is also having effect on people's minds, mental health, and uh, in, in industrialized countries too. It's not just the stress of the environment, like worrying about a job, it's how you're eating and then how your body's responding hormonally um, at, uh, from a, terms of your fight or flight response and things like that. So this is critically important. You know, it's amazing to me, people would never think to, to, to uh, put a child in a car without a car seat, but, you know, and, and that's, legis that's, actually, that's legislated. And yet at the same time, based on dietary recommendations, we are legislating giving your kids candy for breakfast, you know? So it's, it's, it's like a disconnect in my mind. Um, well, not only is it, not only are we giving candy to kids for breakfast, but it's got the American Heart Association Heart Healthy <laughs> endorsement on those boxes of cereal. Yes. So, you know, the vilification of fat, of beef, of a meat-based diet uh, from a, not only from the science community, from the marketing community, from the cultural community, is completely off base. And uh, that's my goal is I would be irresponsible not to speak to it, especially, I mean, you look at the data coming out now relative to the pandemic. And there are articles I see every day, they're researching why is it that obese people had a higher more mortality in, in uh, during the pandemic? Well, and there's lots of funding now for new research. And you know, it's, it's already, it's already in the other published literature from decades ago. Uh, so. Well, it goes um, back to basic virology. Nobody really argues with, but, uh, but the, you know, all these people who are doing all these studies are have forgotten and it's, 
you know, what I keep saying is viruses replicate glycolytically. And we love sugar. So people, if you hear one thing from this podcast, viruses love sugar. And yeah. um, so if you're yeah, insulin- and, yeah. and so hyperinsulinemia is one of the hallmarks of this particular disease. It's a death. It's basically if you're hyper have hyperinsulinemia, it's pretty much a death sentence. And also, I was just reading an article the other day, a published paper that uh, comparing viruses and SARS-CoV-2 actually um, is a much more uh, vigorous user of sugar and responds is much quicker and uh, replication wise than influenza. So it was a much more um, in the presence of sugar, it took off more than the average virus that um, so. so yeah, so being everything that that I focus on and that Peter, that our team, your uh, program at optimizing fat metabolism creates a, a cellular environment of resiliency. So in a sense, when we asked, said before, can you carry your kids out one under each arm out of a burning building? Are you strong enough? And uh, same thing goes for your cells. How, how robust are your mitochondria? How robust is, are your, your, is your immune system? And um, we, we know that people um, handle the virus differently. And it's no surprise, um, but uh, the choice may be difficult because people have to change their lifestyle. And so it's good news and bad news. There's no secret to well-being. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is you probably have to give up a lot of things that you've done all your life. Even you know, people that follow the prescription of the food pyramid, you know, even the Mediterranean diet. You know, I, I was talking with a couple uh, the other day. The husband had a heart attack, and he's like, you know, we had gone on the Mediterranean diet. We both lost a lot of weight, so I'm really surprised that I'm here. So we had a good discussion about um, about insulin and 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 they said you you should go on TikTok and I'm like they were older than me so I was like TikTok oh because <laughs> um, you know mostly we just I just talk one on one with people about it. so it's good to talk in this group that um, fat adaption is different than just eating a certain way um, and it's not keto it's not restricting is not doing away with all carbs, but you can actually uh, make it doable for people and enjoyable. And the reward of how good you start to feel and how resilient you are in the face of, um, of disease, it makes it worthwhile, worth the effort, you know? Well, and also, here's the thing that I see, you know, you, 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 you brought up a good point is like, what my epiphany was way back in 2009 when I started working with some early adopters who'd run out of options. So I dug into the basic biology and physiology books. And it really comes down to what, what you are manifest as an Ironman, completing an Ironman, getting in the shape. It goes right all the way down to that cellular mitochondrial level. And, and you know, what OFM does, and, and this is the difference between the diet, the quote unquote fat diets out there, the keto diet, the low carb diet, the Atkins diet. It's, this is not a fat eating diet. This is a fat burning program. 
So it's about getting the metabolism um, back to that state. And that part of that is building what I call metabolic capacity in the cells, which means building the number and size of those mitochondrial super complexes that reside within your cells. Because the more mitochondria you have, the more robust that mitochondria is, has, the greater the capacity to metabolize fat. And that's that the energy production pathway is beta oxidation. And out of that, you get ketones. Ketones are a proxy and a byproduct of beta oxidation. And a lot of people don't realize this. And, and, and glucose is your fight or flight fuel. And it, it's, it's got a place and we don't shy away from it when it's needed for performance. But, um, you know, getting those cells so robust and having that mitochondrial metabolic capacity to burn fat is is really where it's at for your for for not just your performance but your health because the the reason people don't talk about fat burning is we manifold because researchers like to measure you know they have to have metrics and measurement and that's why the ketogenic diet has been the big fat burning diet because you can measure ketones in the blood but you're not measuring all the ketones because a lot of them are actually spent in the Krebs cycle, but you can't really measure easily the whole process of, of beta oxidation. And, and here's where I start losing people because it goes further than that, because when you're in beta oxidation, your cholesterol molecules are being metabolized. So cholesterol is a big source of energy, but it's also got all those building blocks for the cells, for your hormones, for your enzymes. Um, and that's all basic stuff Kathy got in med school, but just touched on, right? Because as a clinician, you learn how to treat patients, but you get this basic stuff, but it's, it's, it's that getting the, the body back to burning fat, which is what we're meant to burn aerobically is, is the key. And it's, it's, it's all got to do with those mitochondria and giving them the nourishment, um, the high oxygen capacity to, because mitochondria flourish in, a, in an oxygen rich environment uh, and then giving them that giving your body from your bot from your whole body right down to those cells that signaling that of stress right the signaling of, of physiological stress that, that tells them oh i got to get stronger and that's what i tell people right if you're sedentary sedentary signals senescence which is death and the so, only so animals rest is for sleep or if they're sick otherwise they're moving predators even and prey they move they move so right. it's it's critical movement is critical mm -hmm. yeah and, and rest rest, rest is just as critical rest is stress. part of that cycle yes yeah. and uh like you said stress is really important you know Healthy whether stress. it's because if you don't stress the system it's not going to get stronger and uh, but to do it in a way where you minimize any kind of damage, but you increase the benefit of the stress, that's the way to do it. And that's the beauty of OFM, too. You can you can load a mature athlete who's very well fat adapted with a tremendous amount of stress like Ironman or a 240 mile race, and it makes them stronger, not weaker. So that's really the beauty of the program. And, you know, ketones are just, it's just funny, you know, all these things, whether it's drugs or ketones, you know, they're marketed, 
you know, people latch onto a concept and then the, the product is marketed um, to, for a profit. You know, key, there may be some mild, there may be a several applications of taking exogenous ketones here and there, but for the yeah, average- Just like person, a gel, yeah. The average person, you know, they don't realize that you're not trying to, your, your body is the best ketone producer in the world. So if you just teach your body uh, to make those and then you can use them. But by, you know, I'm always surprised when people say, you know, I started taking this ketone supplement, but they don't change anything else that they're doing and I'm gaining weight. I'm like, it's like, it's thermodynamic, it's calories. It's just calories, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, people should start to be suspect of something that, um, takes your normal physiology and then rolls it into a, a sellable product. Why not just enhance the function of your body, which is already doing, and then you don't even have to, um, you, know, you don't want to do two things. You don't want to do something your body can already do because it often costs you money, but also it will often shut down your own system because of your loading things from the outside. So this, the best thing to do is to make your own engine work properly and then to supercharge it, which is exactly- yeah, and, that's, and that's where using gels or exogenous ketones, um, what I call conditional supplementation or conditional fueling comes in because then, you know, in the performance realm, you're, you're, you're maxing out the demands your body can probably produce. And, and you want to have that little extra that's going to give you that edge to, to be able to compete, right? So, and you know, most people don't think of themselves. I mean, we mostly deal with athletes, but everybody's an athlete. People don't normally think of themselves as an athlete, but your event might be your 12-hour workday. I mean, you help me understand that. Your event is your 12-hour workday or raising small, running after small children, keeping a house, you know, whatever it is, your day is your event. And so you do that every day. And so that's how you have to start framing your mind when you think of fueling, because you are training for something and you're training for five years from now, right? For your health five years from now. And so what you're doing today has a tremendous impact on that. Whether or not you will develop chronic disease. You know, when Albert Schweitzer, famous physician and author and humanitarian went to Africa and you look at any indigenous populations, um, things like cancer, chronic disease, disease yeah. were, were non-existent. And he wrote about that. That's true because when you are moving all the time, fueling appropriately, not creating a lot of bad metabolic stress, and physical stress, elders in most indigenous populations were extraordinarily healthy and functioning not too far off how they were functioning, you know, decades earlier. So one only has to look at how robust we are as a population compared to people in the 40s and 50s. Um, really, industrialization and uh, uh, politics has. Um, maybe decreased some um, death from things like starvation and accidents, you know, unintentional infections. 
yeah, an infection, right, with antibiotics. But beyond that, much of it has causes to be much less healthy than the populations of the last century and the century before that. And going back, certainly, uh, the further you go back, I would argue that many, many populations, maybe the majority of them, were much healthier than we are today. But we still have the good news, we still have the same physiology, we still have the same cells. Yep. So it doesn't take a lot to get back. In fact, it, you can start to feel good in 24 hours, 72 hours. We know we've had experience, Peter, with that with our, our clients. Um, you just start to feel better immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and um, well, and, and so saying, thank you, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, with the, especially with the past two years, I mean, past the past two years are really a wake up call, except that you don't hear this from the policymakers um, that metabolic health, it's, it's very clear in the data. Um, I've been following this, you know, when you look at this and, and you see it on the front lines as a clinician, you know, people getting in the ICU, I mean, how many people have you seen that you can't find a comorbidity in? Probably none. No, and we could, you know, it's could, sometimes the only comorbidity was even in certain cultures was uh, excess body fat. And they might not even rule in as obese, but for their frame carrying excess fat or uh, a behavior in that a diet heavily laden on uh, very high glycemic carbohydrates like corns, beans, that kind of thing. But you could, you could tell, I mean, there were a lot of special things because of the cytokine storm with the pandemic and the IL-6, you know, being made a lot in the adipose tissue and fat tissue. Um, there were some, even some um, things that made it that much worse, but you, we could, in, it wasn't long before you knew who was going to suffer the worst outcome, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so this, and is it, by then it's too late. You get to the ICU, like, like this is a, this is a bad thing in terms of this is, you are not okay. That's why I said earlier, you know, people say he was fine last week. no. He wasn't fine. He hasn't been fine for a hundred pounds. You know, he hasn't been fine for not running around in a playground for the last 55 years, you know? And um, people really have a, a warped view of what, and, and I, as part of the medical community, I mean, we have to own that. Cause I hear doctors saying, oh, well, she's only 52. We're gonna, it's only 40. Well, if we're so smart, why are people coming in with chronic disease getting younger and younger? I, I you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I want to frame this from a different perspective. I don't think that probably the vast majority of the frontline people, the clinicians, the doctors, the nurses, the techs that are helping, I think there's a genuine um, desire to help people. Oh, yeah. But I think that, that with, our lives being so programmed and everybody's so busy and hospitals being, you know, entities that need to generate revenue. Uh, I don't think people have the time to stop and really think and consider some of these things the way, you know, we have in, in our, you know, our conversations starting back in 2013, when we met that metabolic conference um, that, you know, the you noodle and you have these aha moments because, you know, I just think that 
you know, is it is it wrong? Yes, but is it done with, you know, bad intentions? I think we go back to that saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, you know, somebody's got to say, you know, stop, let's, let's kind of take a reset here and, and try to look at this from a different angle because, you know, I, I know what you're saying because, you know, where I live here in California, in the Central Valley, you, you know, the IC, the, the, the emergency rooms are just overcrowded with people who are coming in. They're, you know, they're flooded and everybody's going through the same monkey motion. And, you know, are they focused on trying to save lives in the ER? Heck yes, they are just like you are. But, but nobody's standing back. You know, when I go in there, when, when I've been made those trips to the ER with somebody, I'm looking at these people and it's like, oh man this is not a good situation i wouldn't want to try to keep some of these people alive i mean i wouldn't know how but but you know looking at them and then you look at their you know family members or friends or bring them in there they're not the paragon of health either and and once again we're not bagging on anybody or or even the doctors are the paragon of health it's just you know we've got to make some noise about this and get back to the the you know what what's the core thing and it's just this this whole thing of your your metabolic physiological function that that's supposed to be back and 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 also not only not only has it been dumbed down but all your studies now are based on a population that's not optimally healthy they're not doing ironmans and they're not fat adapted in doing ironmans right I don't want to put you, I don't want to say that the guy who does Ironman is taking in 400 calories an hour on the bike is healthy, right? Because other to, to avoid a bonk, but somebody like you, you know, we don't study healthy. You said something earlier about this and it got me thinking about how all the news people hear about is about disease in health, right? Avoiding this, avoiding that. And it's like, why aren't we looking more at the inspirational type of things and what's working? And, and that's what I'm trying to do with us, like with you, with Beth, who just completed an Ironman, pushing and pulling her adult disabled daughter, right? She's, you know, I remember one day she said, I'm a freak, I'm a weirdo. I said, no, Beth, you're what normal should be, just like you said earlier, right? Yeah. And this is a woman who's just like you, a woman in her mid-50s, and sure, a lot of what's driving her to complete an Ironman with her daughter is love, a mother's love. And that's a pretty fierce thing. But um, she's also been able to consistently do that because she's a fat burning machine. Um, and so well, we, yeah, don't the main we don't study this. We don't study this enough. And this is what this is an initiative I'm trying to do. And we were able to get it started a bit with uh, Steve Finney and Jeff Bollock with the faster study, but that focused on a ketogenic diet and not that bigger paradigm. And, and so um, I think one of the big take home things for the audience to noodle on is how come we're not studying people like you, Kathy, you know, doing, um, and, and, you know, when we did this, the, this data collection this last February with people, the gal who took them, she's in, she does health, she does VO2 testing, she's never seen data like this, right? Yeah. You know, there's no data out there except the data we have that shows 
people like Jeff and Peter um, capable of burning over two grams a minute of fat, you know, for several minutes. Um, you know, we, we did an RMR on one guy who was the least um, fit there because he drove, he got up at 3 a.m. and drove from LA to Phoenix, but his resting RMR was 100% fat burn. And, and the woman was like, 70% fat burn in RMR is considered really healthy. Mm-hmm. And so, well, you know, in, in uh, scientific inquiry, you know, it's important to challenge existing paradigms. Um, you know, I, I always say at some point there was someone, you know, when I started my residency, we were doing mastectomies for breast cancer because the idea was that cancer was a local problem and then it spread. And it wasn't until somebody challenged that hypothesis and said, huh, maybe cancer is already all throughout the body, but it's just showing up locally. How would that change? And then they did, the, they did it in a study where, and they found that you know, local excision with um, radiation in a lot of cases was at equal to or better uh, outcome than mastectomy you know, because of the less, less um, uh, complications and morbidity. So it's really important. And so that's kind of what launched my inquiry. I was in the ICU one day in 2014 and, and it occurred to me, who doesn't come into the hospital? Why don't we study those people? Because these people are getting younger and younger. And how do we stay well? Uh, how do we not get sick? And so you know, there, I think you raised a good point too. There are a lot of athletes out there that are not healthy. There are a lot of top professional athletes that I wouldn't call healthy. I can tell you that bonking is not normal. Hitting the wall, I mean, you know, is not normal. Uh, diarrhea, uh, vomiting during a race, no matter how long it is, is not normal. Okay, so uh, carrying just because you can finish an Ironman, if you have, if you're hundred pounds overweight. And I saw that because these people probably were like 300 pounds overweight when they were first starting to train. But the, um, you think of a cheetah, you know, or, or um, uh, you know, a, le- a leaf, but healthy animal is the norm. So I think it's important across the population to say that, you know, that's what kind of differentiates OFM. It's not just about being lean. It's not just about trying to finish a race, um, but it's about how do you function at a very high level of your physiology and uh, be better for it and not suffer all these things, again, that we've come to accept. People, you know, accept hitting the wall and, and diarrhea and GI issues as normal. What's normal when you get up to that level of fitness? No, it's not. The human body runs, when it runs properly, it runs like a Lamborghini or a Maserati. And that, that analogy breaks down because those cars, they often have problems and break down, but it is a well-oiled machine that uh, is, 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 it's very, very hard to break it down. And if you're having a malfunction in any way, whether how you think or how you feel or how you perform, then something is not right because that is not acceptable normal physiology. And that's, I think, the important message to get out. Like people seem to have this idea that, well, my body, eventually something's going to go wrong. Guess what? No, (laughs) 
Now, again, you look at those indigenous populations from the past, and they had a, the elders in their in their um, groups had an extraordinarily high level of function, and uh, you know were devoid of chronic disease. You know, I always used to look at if you look at the um, pictures of cowboys and Native Americans from the past when we Americans were first uh, pushing west, and you know, notice like. I always thought, I always thought as a kid, I wonder why they have dentures, like the Indian, the Native Americans had like false teeth, I thought. No, they just had really healthy teeth. Simple things like dental caries, wounds, you know, things like that, they healed because their physiology functioned normally. So that's really what we have to get back to. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about biochemistry and the, the, the concentration and performance of your mitochondria and your, your, the, the density of your microvasculature and your muscles and how they work. But at the end of the day, you know, it's very, all these little things are very simple um, examples like good teeth, fast healing bodies, ability to move a lean, a lean, a low, low body fat uh, look, you know, they're very simple bits of evidence that we're now on the wrong track going yeah forward. yeah no and the beauty of this um yeah for the audience like kathy and i in our private conversations we'll go down these uh rabbit holes or i'll go down rabbit holes and i lose people all the time and and this is one of the things to know is like that's what we do because we're curious about this and we have the educational background to go down those rabbit holes and understand what's going on but if you if you don't if you're not don't have a university level biology, physiology, organic chemistry, biochem uh, background, which I got slaughtered in <laughs> with all the pre-med and pre-vet students at Davis, you know, it, you, you, you just get lost. And, and, and yes, when you break down all these processes on a modern didactic conscious level, it's incredibly complex and interrelated. It's just it's just, it's impossible to try and track it all. But the, the beauty of, of what we're doing at OFM is we take that and bring it to a, a level that, that's in harmony with our natural evolutionary past. So the actual execution of it, once you get the basic concepts is, is, is incredibly easy. Straightforward. You yes. For wellness, there's no secret. You just have to go back to your natural physiology, which is fat adaption. Yeah. Have to get, you'll, you'll think clearly. You'll feel happy. You will handle stress better. Your immune system will be stronger. You will avoid developing many, many chronic diseases. You will just feel better overall. You have energy beyond belief. And you, you know, that's, that's our normal state of being. And no matter what your life is like stress-wise, you'll be handling it better. And so we, we want to create an upward spiral where everything gets better and not and get out of this downward spiral. Well, where- and also to a point about your thing about meditation, see a lot of things like we try to get you away from this didactic counting calories, calculating macros, uh, very met- uber metric driven training programs with high structure and get you into that zone because what Kathy was mentioning about um, uh, 
excuse me, I, I had a brain fart here, um, about meditation. Okay, meditation is simply getting in the zone. And, and when you're trying to keep track of conscious thought, you can't. It's, and so physiologically getting into that zone, whether you're meditating or you're just deeply into a project or a piece of music or a book, that sets up some, some really amazing physiology, whereas trying to keep track of all this stuff you know, whether it's your calories or macros or whether you put your bike, your left bike shield on first or your right bike shield on first at T1. And really, there's some people who try to, who, who try to go that far. Um, that's really stressful. That sets up cortisol. It, it, it's just so damaging your body. And so, you know, the whole point of, of how we do things is to not have all these metrics Yes, we use a little structure and, and some guidance, but for guidance, but the, is to release you from all that hold. There's no apps. You know, we don't want you to be using an app because, you know, all you have to do is look around and sometimes even look at the mirror at people that are just scrolling through their phones and devices and constantly getting distracted. And that's, like I say, that's pinging some very primitive physiological fight or flight physiology. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, it's really all comes down to, you know, it starts with what you put in your mouth and how you feel your body. And that ties into, you know, helping you think better and then taking a little bit of time. Epigenetics tells us how important thought the, the so it's not just the external environment, but the internal environment is on your, on your uh, physical processes. And then, uh, you know, so fueling, thinking and moving, how you do those three things will predict your life. Yep. And that's what OFM is all about. Yeah. You know, because you take through your diet, you handle the stressors better. You make better decisions. You move more, you feel better. You want to eat the way you, because you're feeling better. You're more motivated to eat. You can be more disciplined. You're more relaxed. It just, it all creates this beautiful um, synergistic effect. And then you feel good. That's what everybody wants to do. They don't, they just want to feel good. And they, and that's what OFM and I'd argue is, um, you know, that, again, that's the good news and the bad news. The good news is you don't really need anything outside of yourself to, to get healthy. And uh, the bad news is it's, you're, you know, you're your own hero or not, you know. You, that's right. That's exactly right. And this is why you don't see, you know, everything's programmed, including a lot of the health gurus and influencers, because they're citing the latest literature and this and that. And then we've got this whole pandemic um, stuff on the health and nobody's talking, like I said, nobody's talking about metabolic health yet. It's very clear from the data um, that that's a key marker for what your outcome is. So you don't see these studies because guess what, folks, there's no money in it for that outside entity. The money stays with you. Because getting healthy, you know, truly healthy, puts you at arm's length from the um, treatment pathway that we've sort of evolved to in, in this modern human lifestyle, because it's, it, it generates revenue and, and everything's predicated on that. And so um, you have to realize that, that the, the wealth instead of transferring that wealth, the wealth and your health in a progression as you, 
you age, as you age chronologically, and everybody thinks this is normal, just like poor health is normal, you're going to be taking back that wealth. And, and this is this is the problem is like, like Kathy says, you have this genetic programming that got you here, your genes, this thing where people pull the genetics card up first and say, Oh, I've got bad genes, I can't do this. No, 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 no. Unless you were born with a genetic condition, your genes are not your destiny. You, we've got, you know, you as an individual have to figure out how to make those epigenetic markers manifest themselves in positive ways. But the point is, your genes got you here because they're robust genes. That's right. Right. I mean, right. we all have the same. They have they have mapped the human genome, which is which genes do you express? And yeah. the data is clear that the environment again. Uh, is tr is tremendously important in, in what is expressed. So the reason most people have the same genetic propensity for heart disease as likely, it's because they adopt the same patterns that their parents had, that their families had, the same eating and behavior stress management patterns. And that tends to exert then a similar influence on their genetic expression. Yeah, and that's in the modern age, whereas when you look at that same gene pool, it probably came from a very... Um, a, a gene pool that was more of a hunter gatherer gene pool. And, and, you know, cause I, I, I think about these things and I, I, I look at it as like, okay, we have what, what I call sentinel populations that are markers for these things. So you have, you know, African-Americans, American Indians, Eskimos and Inuits, Polynesian Islanders. I call those sentinel population groups. And, and even Eastern Europe, because when you look at how agriculture began and, and started in the Fertile Crescent and migrated out, literally, um, that was just selective genetic culling for carbohydrate tolerance, right? Yes. And so those people who adopted agriculture, those genes that didn't have much tolerance for carbohydrates got wiped out pretty quickly. And then when you start to think about this, even Middle Easterners who remained hunter-gatherers, they're very susceptible to getting a heart attack at 40. You have Eastern Europe. A lot of people don't realize that Europe, you know, until World War I was a lot, largely relegated to a lot of fiefdoms east of Germany, right? Because Germany was even a lot of fiefdoms. So people lived in these isolated pockets and a lot of them lived the way their ancestors lived for tens of thousands of years in a, without a whole lot of agriculture and, and trade in, in what Weston Price called uh, foods of modern commerce. And same thing with like African-Americans, how many generations of carbohydrate tolerance calling did they have, you know, since slavery, right? American Indians, since they were relegated to the reservation. So these, 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 these groups are Polynesian Islanders, not till the thirties and forties, because these populations didn't have the tens of thousands, you know, 10,000 years of, of genetic culling. And I, I don't know if that gets across to people, but, but that's how gen genetics are expressed, you know? And so, um, you know, you might have some Eastern European background, you might be white, but Eastern European background in you that, you know, you might have had a father that came from one of these remote areas that, you know, in, in his in his time, in his space, he would live a good long life, but 
in the modern world on modern foods, it's a heart attack at 40, right? So I hope I'm not losing people there, but that's that's the kind of thing. We're, we're not, well, you know, we like to think we're very, very evolved, but in the 40 years since World War II, or maybe a little longer. 80, 80 now. Yeah. yeah. You know, 60. the technology has advanced a lot more than physiology. And um, we're still the same human we were then, but like you said, our lifestyle is completely different. And um, unfortunately, in a lot of ways for the worse. So getting back to those conditions that helped our, you know, the um, helped our ancestors survive is the way to health going forward. And yeah, we can, and we can you know, have the best is it, is we have the best of both worlds because neither yes. one of us are advocating going back and sleeping on the ground. I mean, we have the best know. of both worlds. Yeah, <laughs> and I was going to say, so we need to use technology with like things like uh, certain very critical supplements or like Vespa to we use technology to further enhance our physiology, not to hurt it. Yeah, and that's that's kind of my philosophy with the the supplement end of it is like a lot of the supplements, you know, probably 80% of the supplements that we recommend to on an individual basis to the individual, you know, they're natural. They're very natural. Like Vespa is a natural product. It's actually classified as a food, but like, you know, vitamin D and magnesium, like I don't want to supplement with vitamin D and magnesium, but very few people get exposed their body to enough sunlight to do it endogenously right and very few people are eating enough seafood or eating plants and animals that are grown on on wild native grasses that haven't been cultivated um so there's 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 you know there's certain things that we have to account for our modern life and adapt but but try to you know have that philosophy of how do we work with nature rather than a, than do a shortcut because sort of what I'm finding, Kathy, is like, we humans think we're so clever. And we, we keep forgetting that as much as we do know, and I'm not saying we don't know a lot, like I said, modern medicine is amazing. And it's a miracle. But we keep forgetting how little we really know. And every time we come up with a, a shortcut, um, there's unintended consequences. And we forget about that. Yeah, I, I don't like everybody's interested in hacking the system a shortcut. And to, it's almost it's it's insulting at best and 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 disastrous at worst to try to shortcut this perfect system of our physiology. Right. You just have to tap into it, not in not 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 hack it because um, I think biohacking uh, is a connotation in all the worst ways, in all the the worst. If, if, if you're a biologist, you understand biology it's just like it just doesn't make sense right it's it's yes. it's it's an anathema but but and there, like said, there are some interventions out there you know five percent of the population has a true genetic abnormality um but 95 percent just have to stop hurting themselves and that's what ofm does it you know brings the body back into balance yep and it's fueled properly it's it it's moved properly and then you could start talking about how do we enhance that to make you feel even better you know, so 
Um, I think there's no secret to well-being. You got to get yourself fat adapted. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, um, uh, you know, the Department of Defense for their elite, their elite core, you know, know all about this stuff. You know, having to fuel in austere environments and keep your mental uh, clarity while you're under duress, uh, not only from a food perspective, but an environmental perspective, a sleep deprivation perspe perspective. Um, you just, metabolic resilience, you, you know, your, your body is a fortress when it's properly taken care of. And all of these things, you know, that we're afraid of, especially over the past couple of years that we've been told we should be afraid of. It's not that you don't, you throw caution to the wind and, and, but you can have the security of knowing. I mean, if you had a fortified castle and you knew an army was coming, well, that's better than being in a grass hut and feeling like an army's coming. So the offer of OFM is a strong, robust physiology. It's natural, it comes naturally, it's easy to execute. It's, it's extraordinarily cost-effective. Um, and uh, so, you know, that's my big message to everybody. There's no secret to well-being, whether you're talking physical or, or mental well-being. Um, and any derangements you might have in the system, the, the current lifestyle in America in general is making all of those things worse. They make you feel better. A lot of things make you feel better in the moment, um, but it's it's really a ruse because ultimately you're doing a lot more damage. You know, it's kind of like I said, like putting a kid, letting a kid ride in the back of a pickup truck. It feels kind of good in the moment, but when an accident happens, instead of being safe in a car seat, uh, surrounded by you know a lot of metal, you get thrown and you basically don't have a chance. And that's a situation that's being created by the, the average lifestyle. It's a situation when a threat comes, you really don't even have a chance. How, it's just a matter of how fast are you gonna succumb? How fast are you gonna die? Slow like, like a line from a movie, quick like the, the tongue of a snake or slow like molasses. You know, and that's what I see every day and it's unnecessary because you can, there's a lot that people can do to bring themselves back into a healthy way of being. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is people need to realize the human body is hugely resilient. Um, and we're not talking about you, Kathy, we're talking about the persons you see in the, in the ICU. I yes. mean, that, that people can come into the ICU in the condition they are and still be alive and the fact that you can pull them from the jaws of death. It's like we have such a tolerance and resilience that we have this latitude to, to have allowed ourselves to sink into this hole rather than recognize that, you know, we really need to um, value the gift we have and, and, and try to build and enhance that. And, and, and I think, you know, to close this off, I think one of the things is the longevity, because when you're burning fat, you're reducing the oxidative stress, you're reducing the lactate load, you're reducing the glycation, which is called AGEs, aging. Um, and that acronym is no accident because glycation is one of those things that accelerates aging on a cellular level and on a body level. And so, you know, if you're watching this, um, just take one look at Kathy and, and, you know, she's not only looking great at a 
at a, as a woman of a certain age. And 56. This is 56. 56 and proud of being 56, okay? She <laughs> oh. looks great, but she's also functioning at, at a high level as an intensivist and an Ironman. And so, you know, and then, you know, you look at some of the other athletes we work with, like Jeff Browning or Peter Mortimer or Beth James or Diane Credenda. And, you know, that's the thing. Let's, let's look at the people who are uh, doing this at a at a age that's far advanced from what people uh think is normal i mean it's normal to see our performance drop off as we age but yet you know you see somebody like jeff browning or the football player rinaldi now i don't know what he's doing but he's probably got the best people around him and he's he, he gets it in terms of taking care of himself but but jeff you know jeff at 51 is still one of the top mountain ultra specialists and you know i was i was interviewing i was talking with him and, and when i looked at his ultra ultra sign up results he's doing more big events than anybody else in the sport so he might be in the top five or ten elite ultra runners in the country or in the world might be in that top 10 of, of elite at, at his age right he's not in his 20s or 30s he's 51 and but yet compare if you took those top 10 nobody's doing the amount of competitions and big things and it to a point he's on that cycle of after every event yeah after every event from four to seven eight weeks later he's he's getting the bounce you know that rejuvenation from the adaptive stress to go there and, and you know so but you know, you don't have to do an ultra, you don't have to run 240 miles, you don't have to do an Ironman, you just got to get started. And it starts with that metabolic health. Um, so Kathy, anything you'd like to close out with besides looking fantastic and feeling fantastic? Uh, no, that's just that the secret is there's no secret. You just have enjoying to life. Right? Your, you just have to get back to your normal physiology. And, um, and that's what OFM is there to do. And uh, again, you know, from my position on the team is to pledge that uh, I never, ever recommend anything that's not based in science that I'm not doing myself and that um, isn't for the benefit of health and longevity. So thank you Peter, for what you do. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we'll be doing that. Uh, we'll be doing more of these. So um, can't wait to do that. Well, have a great rest of your day, um, Kathy. You too. Hopefully people will uh, send us some, in, some questions and uh, can help, you know, what they want to hear about specifically going forward. And um yeah, yeah I think what we'll do is we'll probably have some stuff for the paid content subscribers where we can do some sessions and talk about both from my perspective in the in with OFM and your perspective with OFM as a clinician and the medical implications. So it, it's going to be good. Can't Sounds wait. Great. Thanks, Peter. All right.